Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. Within Judaism today, there is an understanding that, though there is no longer a temple, a Levitical priesthood, or sacrifices for sin, there is still atonement. If someone studies the Torah, performs good deeds, and gifts to charity, they can rest assured that they are in right standing with God, and there is no need for any other means of salvation. In the first episode of this season, we answered the question, I'm a good person, so why do I need Jesus? Today, we are going to dig deeper into the Hebrew scriptures and modern Judaism to answer the question, I'm Jewish, so why do I need Jesus? To help us answer this question, we have invited Ryan Karp, who is our Assistant Midwest Regional Director and serves in Chicago. I now introduce the host of our Hope podcast, Abe Vasquez. Ryan Carp, it is so good to have you on our hope um, in the what is it now 13 months 14 months that we've had our hope um, I can't believe you haven't been a guest on this uh, sooner and so I apologize on behalf of Nicole uh, for not inviting you to, to, to be a guest hey guys I actually have been a guest have you yeah I was interviewed by Dr. Glazer Early on. No way. In the middle of the pandemic last summer. Absolutely. That is an unreleased episode. Oh, behind the scenes. That is an unreleased episode. You're absolutely right. Well, we need to go into the vault and find it and then maybe just delete it. I think it's on you. <laughs> I think it's on YouTube. Is it? Yeah, oh. it is. Oh, wait. Was this for like moving forward in hope maybe? Yeah, I think it was a part of that. Okay. And then maybe. he also did a long form interview. Interesting. Very interesting. I'd, I'd love to listen to that and find it. Well, this is the first time in 15 months I've interviewed you, sir. Uh, so, <laughs> so we're either way, we're really excited to have you here. Thank you. Um, what was I'm trying to remember. When was the first time you and I met? Do you remember? I don't know. I think your beard was smaller. Your muscles were bigger. 
<laughs> I don't. It's been years. It's yeah, been, it's been at least three, four years, five years. Oh well, I've been part of CPM for six years, so yeah, yeah definitely a long time. But um, I appreciate you, brother, for being here and um, saying yes to this. Every guest, when we bring them for the first time, uh, we have to ask a very deep theological question for them to answer. Um, so just get ready for this one. Okay. Um, what is your favorite food? Tex-Mex. <laughs> Sorry. Tex-Mex. <laughs> Without a doubt, I love going to Texas. What is it about Tex-Mex? It's the spice. It's the cheese. It's all about the cheese. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, it's been a year, right? You know, it's been a really tough year. Um, 2020 is the, I think we're going to have PTSD anytime we hear the word 2020 or the numbers 2020, <laughs> you go to a checkout and your, uh, total comes out to 2020. You're going to have a little flinch, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's been rough. So can you maybe share a little bit about, first of all, what you do at CPM or chosen people ministries and some of the updates, some of the things that have happened to you in your ministry? Sure, absolutely. So I'm the Chicago branch director and the associate Midwest regional director. So we have a number of really wonderful staff that work here with us in the Midwest from Minneapolis to Pittsburgh, and especially, obviously, the Chicagoland area. I work with a number of guys here in Chicago. And one of the things that we do is we have a service going on regularly in the city of Chicago, specifically for Christians who want to reach their Jewish friends with the gospel. And that is so much fun to be surrounded by like-minded people who will then in turn bring their Jewish friends. And mm. the reality is we're the only Jewish testimony in the city proper of Chicago. Wow. Mm. Um, but since the pandemic, obviously things changed quite a bit. A lot of our ministry went online, but then we even figured out that we could do some neighborhood ministry going door to door, giving some, some of our websites out door to door and then interacting with them on the chat that we've set up. And I've, I've been speaking with a number of Jewish people and Christians who want to reach their Jewish friends. So it seems to be working. We've seen people come to faith. We've seen people mm. immersed. Uh, and now as Chicago is is opening back up, it's it's more fun. I got to yeah. be honest. Yeah. And we're going to continue doing some of the stuff that we started during the pandemic. That's awesome to hear. So thanks for catching us up with your ministry. It's really good to to see what's been happening over the past 15 months. It's been hard. It's been difficult. But... I'm really, really encouraged to hear, hear stories like you just told. And so um, let's jump into today's topic. So I have a question. What was it like for you growing up? Describe your home. So my upbringing was one where I grew up in a mixed marriage household. It means that I had one Jewish parent and one non-Jewish parent. It wasn't really a spiritual religion. It was more cultural than anything else. December was amazing mm -hmm. because... Frankly, Hanukkah and Christmas. I got both of them. Then we also did Passover and Easter. And I wouldn't say that I really understood why we did almost any of them. I just knew that this is something that we did. Um, I didn't realize that the Yiddish words that my father was saying to me, other kids might not know. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't realize that not everybody ate bagels and locks and chopped liver. Oh, I love chopped liver. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't realize that uh, not everybody mourned the way that we mourned when a loved mm. one died wearing a, a yarmulke and sitting shiva. Yeah. Um, so even though we were cultural and not spiritual, we still sort of did Jewish things. Like the best French toast is still challah French toast. You know, you don't just take a piece of wheat and throw it in some egg, you know. <laughs> mm. 
But that's sort of how I grew up. Uh, occasionally visiting the synagogue with my dad, probably when he felt guilty for not going. Um, not going to church, that's for sure. But mm. sort of irreligious until my father was... Well, I was about eight and a half or nine when my father was invited by a uh, Christian colleague to hear a chosen people ministries missionary. And we didn't know what that was, obviously. Yeah. Talk about how, uh, how Passover not only reminds us of what happened in Egypt, but also foreshadowed what Jesus would do as the, the Messiah of Israel and the entire world. And my father's jaw hit the floor, but he tried to prove the man wrong. And over a few months, he couldn't do it. <laughs> and he gave his heart to the Lord and he accepted Yeshua, Jesus as his Messiah. And so after that, we started attending a Messianic congregation where I was surrounded with other kids like me products of Jewish-Jewish or Jewish-Gentile marriages. We were getting bar and bat mitzvahed, you know, and uh, saying things in Hebrew, singing Jewish songs. And so that became sort of our identity uh, as Messianic Jews from the age of nine on. Well, well, let's go back a little bit. So before that experience happened, and, and by the way, to those listening, if you listen to our past episodes, you've heard Ryan's father before Dennis Carp, um, give not only his testimony, but also talk with, uh, his wife, um, just talking about their life and experience. So a little bit more context. If you want to listen to those episodes, we'll put that in the show notes or something. Uh, I know the episodes by heart. Oh, there you go. Yeah. He's on Yeshua and Yom Kippur. He's on the Olive Tree Marriages episode and he's on, I think it's Passover in the New Testament. And that's why Nicole's our producer. (laughs) Wow. That wasn't even in our notes. That She's was also awesome. the, the, the personified version of the archives. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very good. I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, so before we get to that point of where you had that encounter of Jesus's, who he was, um, according to Passover, right? What was the name to Jesus to you personally? Oh, well, that's a good question because in my house, the name of Jesus, it, it wasn't a no-no, but it wasn't just, it just wasn't talked about. If I heard the name Jesus, it was usually in conjunction with Christ and said as an expletive. Mm. Um, but it, that wasn't even that often. So Jesus wasn't a big deal to me and we didn't celebrate Christmas as his birth and Easter, you know, I may have understood or heard about a resurrection, but since it wasn't something that we talked about regularly, I, I didn't even think about it. It wasn't until after my father accepted Jesus that, uh, I actually accepted Jesus when mm-hmm. I was about 10 years old because I was watching one of those cheesy Christian cartoon videos about how the Apostle Paul went around sharing the gospel. And mm-hmm. I was amazed at what he was willing to endure because mm-hmm. he thought the message that he was sharing was worthwhile. Wow. Beaten, you know, lowered over a wall in a basket, all because mm-hmm. he knew that the message would change people's lives. Wow. So I was, I was nine when that happened. Yeah. I think what's so powerful about Paul, too, is that he shows us that you can be Jewish and believe in Jesus. You know, he was a Pharisee, Uh, but a pretty common idea in both Jewish and some Christian circles is that Jewish people can't be Jewish if they believe in Jesus. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I've I've heard that a lot. Um, It's funny because you get it from both sides. Yeah. You know, the Jewish side says, oh, you know, you can't be Jewish if you've changed your faith. And the Christian side says, oh, now you believe in Jesus? You're no longer Jewish. And I find that so amusing because if you're born in Italy or if you're born in Nigeria, you can't stop being Italian or Nigerian right. uh, when you come to faith in Jesus. 
So why in the world would that be the case with being Jewish? And I think that's that's the fundamental misunderstanding. First, uh, you are Jewish by birth. You are Christian by belief. It just so happens that there is a faith that accompanies being Jewish by birth. But frankly, what you see across the across the spectrum of Jewish people is that you can believe almost anything unless it's Jesus, right? That's really the line you cannot cross. Right. So that's the second thing. It's the first, it's the misunderstanding of what makes a Jewish person, descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jewish by birth. But the other hand is, it's that one thing that you can't cross. It's Jesus. Because they think you've gone into another religion. And yet, frankly, there's nothing more Jewish than believing in a Jewish Messiah. And when Peter was giving his sermon in Acts chapter 3, mm -hmm. he didn't only say repent. He said repent and return to his Jewish audience, which means he thought that this was in accordance with what God had always wanted. Mm -hmm. So... I, you know, I think it's the fundamental misunderstanding of what makes a Jewish person. And there's a spiritual thing there where it's just Jesus. You can't cross that line. We'll be right back. Shalom. I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. Is it possible for Jewish people to believe in Jesus when there's such a sad history of Christian anti-Semitism that has shaped Jewish attitudes towards the gospel? Well, I know there's hope because I'm Jewish and I believe in Jesus. And I would love to offer a few suggestions for reaching Jewish people personally with the love of God through Messiah. First, keep your message personal. You're representing a person, not a religion. Second, be loving, patient, and kind, even when they object. And then finally, and most importantly, pray. Touching the heart of your Jewish friend with the good news of Messiah will also touch the very heart of God. And you can learn more by visiting Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com radio. difficult times, we know how hard it is to hold on to hope, and we want you to know that Chosen People Ministries is here for you. If you have any prayer requests, our prayer team is standing by to receive them. You can submit your request at chosenpeople.com forward slash pray. Again, that's chosenpeople.com forward slash pray. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with Judaism, I know we're in our sixth season. We've, we're, I don't even know what episode we're on now. It's like episode nine. <laughs> episode, <laughs> well, 59, right? In total. 59, yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot about Judaism. We've talked a lot about Christianity. We've talked a lot about Messianic Judaism. We've talked about a lot of the the connections, right? And But, but for those who are not familiar, can you explain briefly what the core beliefs are, especially about salvation. Salvation in Judaism, yeah. Mm. Well, so it's <laughs> the easy way to say this is Judaism is a spectrum. And so anything that I say will not be monolithic. It does not speak for all Jewish people because there are Jewish people who believe in 
in traditional Judaism or Reform Judaism. Then there are, you know, the Hindus, the Jews who uh, follow Hinduism or the atheist Jewish people. But to, to sort of boil it down, there is a, a rabbi named Maimonides, the Rambam, Moses ben Maimon, and he came up with the 13 articles of Jewish faith. And among, and usually these are seen as pretty ubiquitous in Judaism, but among them are, you know, God is one, God is eternal, you cannot have other gods, um, the Torah was given by God, uh, oh, you know, this one's interesting, belief in the resurrection of the dead. Wow. Not necessarily of the Messiah, but of the resurrection in general. Uh, mm. Belief in a Messiah, belief in divine reward and punishment. So, th- I mean, those are some of the 13 articles of faith, okay? But in relationship to, to salvation, I would say that most Jewish people don't actually think about salvation, at least not in the way that Christians think about salvation. Um, they might think of forgiveness but I don't think they would equate the concept of salvation and forgiveness because salvation comes across as sort of a more Gentile Christian concept. Right. Uh, as far as forgiveness goes, though, forgiveness is really what happens on the holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There is this concept that we sin against God and we need forgiveness. But for most Jewish people, when they attend synagogue, that's the only time of the year, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that they actually think about it. Okay, so in fact, there's a there's a prayer that you say during uh, these holidays called the Alchet, which is for the sins. So you recite this thing, and even at the very end, it says, you know, for the sins that require a sin offering. And it's interesting because we can't offer a sin offering, and yet in the synagogue, we say this: Hey, we're at we're telling you we've sinned, and uh, you know some of our sins require a sin offering. And yet we, we bring no sin offering. And so what happens after that is you pray, you give uh, financially or time, you fast in hopes that you might merit God's grace and that he might forgive you of your sin at that moment for the next year or for the previous year, rather. But then there's really sort of no assurance that he's actually forgiving you. Mm. But the concept is definitely a works-based concept because we can't bring sacrifices. So please accept all of these other things in lieu of that. Right. And from what you just said, Ryan, you mentioned uh, basically repentance, good deeds, and a life of devotion are kind of the main aspects of Judaism. So within Judaism, how do these three things restore someone's relationship with God? Oh, in the idea of Judaism, I mean, it's a correct or an appropriate perspective of God that would bring a Jewish person closer. So, for example, uh, someone might point to, and this this happened to me the other day while I was sharing with a Jewish man. He shared with me Genesis chapter 26, and it says, Abraham obeyed and did everything required of him, which is why God blessed him. Mm -hmm. And so he was pointing to that to say, see, an appropriate approach and understanding of God and the doing of his commands will get us in the right relationship with him. That's essentially it. So all in that, you have repentance, you have devotion, and if you mess up, well, then you get to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and you can make up for it. Um, We have to do things, you know, also in these holidays, there's something called the Ashamnu, which means we are guilty, where we Mm -hmm. actually declare, yes, we are guilty. But it's almost as if by acknowledging this concept, that we are guilty, that we've sinned against God, 
that's almost the repentance in and of itself. But repentance is really not only acknowledging, but turning back toward God. And most people, I would say, probably don't turn back towards God. They just go to the services more as sort of an insurance policy if mm. there is a God. So today, I would say devout Jews, devout Jews, because not every Jewish person works this way, they base their hopes on forgiveness from these three ideas, repentance, prayer, and the merits. The mer- You know, do good works or mitzvot. So in a way, I, like I said before, only God knows if their sins are forgiven or not. They have no idea. So let's let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's let's start there for a second. How was atonement understood in the Tanakh or the Old Testament? Yeah. Okay. So I would have loved to be there, you know, to actually see this. Atonement was what we would call substitutionary, right? That's a big theological word. It means that there was a substitute for you. So that substitute would take the punishment, so to speak, that you deserved instead of you. And that manifested itself in the form of the sacrificial system that was given in Leviticus so that we could be forgiven of our sins. It was obvious that we all had sin, but when we had sin, depending on the type of sin, there was a prescription. You would sacrifice this or you would make this type of offering. And so that would cover over your sins. It didn't completely forgive you eternally. It would just cover over that sin. So you had to keep making these sacrifices, keep approaching the temple or the tabernacle. And then every year at Yom Kippur, that was a big holiday because for everything that you didn't confess, for everything that you didn't make a sacrifice for, the high priest was responsible for making atonement for the entire nation. Mm. He was their intermediary where he placed all of the sins on the uh, the scapegoat and and that was supposed to do it for the entire year. But it didn't stop there because, you know, you sin the next day, you had to offer another sacrifice. <laughs> right. But it was this, this conscious recognition that God is holy. I make mistakes, therefore I'm not holy. So my attention to that sin actually helps me because that helps me remember I'm not perfect. So I have to make a sacrifice in the face of an almighty, holy God who still wants to have a relationship with me. At least that's how I understand it in the Old Testament. And Ryan, we know that in the Old Testament, they knew that the Messiah was going to arrive in the future. So what did the Old Testament Israelites believe about the Messiah when it comes to redemption? The Old Testament. See, that's that's a hard question because there's the Old Testament believers of God, right? And then there's the modern Jewish thought of the Messiah. Mm. There are some over overlapping ideas. In one word, the kingdom. The kingdom. And I think that's still echoed for the most part by modern devout Jewish people today. They knew about the Messiah. They received little bits of information here and there. They knew that they weren't a perfect nation and that they needed redemption. They needed uh, somebody to deliver them partly from their enemies and partly from from themselves. But they were looking for somebody who would right the wrongs of the world, who would defend the Jewish people, and who would restore God's system of justice. And they were probably looking for something that we would consider mystical or magical or miraculous. They were looking for things like people being healed. They were looking for things like people (laughs) prophesying and having visions. Um, 
So this is what they were expecting. And I would dare say a lot of Jewish people today around the world, especially the Orthodox Jewish community, are still expecting something like this. Wow. It's it's so funny just to hear what the expectation is and to then look at the life of Yeshua. And it's like, guys. <laughs> well, if that's I mean, I mean, think about it. If that's if that's the expectation, it makes sense why so many Jewish people might not see Jesus as the Messiah. Right? They don't have the concept that he dies for your sin. Right, they have the right, concept right. that he's a mighty, a mighty, you know, warrior. Warrior, yeah. 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 A general that leads you into battle and brings you to victory. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I actually agree with that. I just think that he does it in his second coming, whereas Jewish people, for the most part, if they believe in a Messiah, only thinks he comes once. So, in, so just to clarify, in modern Judaism, is there any belief that salvation will come through the Messiah? Do they believe this concept of salvation, of atonement, and all of the things we talked about, does that come through the Messiah? Or is he just this warrior figure to them? Well, again, uh, any of my comments will not speak for all of Judaism. And I would sure, dare say sure. that of the roughly 18 million Jewish people in the world, most of them are not looking for a Messiah. Mm. In fact, m some Jewish people, the not as observant Jewish people, have sort of personified their own actions to become the Messiah. We have this concept called tikkun olam, which means repair the world. Mm. Mm. And for those Jewish people who don't necessarily believe in the God of the Bible, but maybe he's there, they think that their own good deeds will bring goodness to the world. Not even a kingdom, but just bring goodness to the world. And so instead of a Messiah, they've replaced that concept with their own good deeds. Hmm. But for the religious Jewish people, I would say, yes, some are still looking for the Messiah. They're looking for redemption. They're looking for both spiritual and physical redemption. But the spiritual redemption doesn't come because he dies for their sins. It comes because he guides them in an appropriate approach to God. And the physical redemption is also the defense of the Jewish people and the establishment of a physical kingdom or what we call a messianic age or a messianic era. Proper worship and a messianic kingdom. Those are really, if Jewish people are still looking for the Messiah, what he's look, what they're looking for. Yeah. And speaking of proper worship, you know, obviously there is no temple, there's no priests, and there's no sacrifice system today. So how would you explain the way that God provides atonement today? Jesus. <laughs> right? Always the answer. That's Always the answer. the answer. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, you're, you're completely right. There's a passage in the Old Testament uh, where I've, I've been pointed to this passage a few times when I've asked the same question that you just asked me. And they say, uh, we offer our lips as bulls. Mm -hmm. In other words, we offer the words of our prayers as if they're sacrifices. And actually, I kind of like that concept, but I yeah. don't agree that they're sin sacrifices. I just think that our prayers are like a pleasing aroma to the Lord, much like uh, the incense that was offered in the tabernacle and in the temple. Mm. But, how, but how can you achieve atonement today? I already explained how they think they achieve atonement. It's on their, it's on their own effort. I realize that I can't do it on my own. You know, it, it says over and over in scripture that the Lord himself would achieve justice and salvation for us. So in my understanding, he provided the way for atonement. He gave us Jesus. It says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 2.24 God presented Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Romans 3.25 The only way to cover over our sins is to acknowledge that we can't cover over our sins and then someone is actually available who will take that from us. So Ryan, you're Jewish. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you need Jesus? Uh, I was writing an email to an unbelieving Jewish man before we got on this call, and I was trying to explain to him that Jesus has utterly changed my life. Mm. He's changed me from the inside out because as long as I was trying to change myself from the outside in, I was failing miserably. I was spiraling. But when I put him on the throne of my heart and my soul and my life, which I... You know, don't always do. But when I do, exactly what I just said, the outlook on the world becomes better. It's easier for me to love other people, just like he wants us to do. The works that are so important in Judaism, and I do love good works and good deeds, become so much easier because he's changed me from the inside out that I want to do those good things. Mm -hmm. It's made all the difference in my outlook in life and the way I interact with people. And because now I get to spend eternity with him. And so I want everybody else to know it too. And Ryan, if that man were to reply to you and say, you know what, I'm satisfied with Judaism and just, you know, doing good deeds and things like that, what would you say in response? (laughs) Well, keep in mind that there is no recipe perfect recipe for how to share the gospel, unlike some of the recipes on CPM's website, which are perfect and divine or divinely given. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thank you, Mitch Foreman. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say any number of things. It really depends on the situation. I might say, that's fantastic. Jesus was Jewish also. Are you interested in learning more about what the Old Testament says about the Messiah and about sin? Mm. But most people are probably not that willing. (laughs) So what I usually do is just start asking questions, how they're doing, how, how their method of Judaism is working for them, what they actually believe. And I think you'll find if you ask genuine, gentle, loving questions, you'll find mostly that people are hurting and that people don't have the foggiest idea of what they actually believe. Um, but the, but the concept of, of becoming a friend to somebody is super important because they not only need to hear the words of Jesus and the words of the New Testament, the words of Scripture, they also need to see the work of the mm. Lord in your life. Yeah. And those things go hand in hand. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this was really great and so good to hear from you and uh, to get your perspective on this. We really appreciate your time. I appreciate it. It's possible for Jewish people to believe in Jesus and still be Jewish. I love it. Amen. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter four, verse 12. Only in Yeshua can anyone Jewish or Gentile, find forgiveness for their sins and direct access to God. We have salvation because we have put our trust in the final atoning sacrifice for all sins, provided by God directly through His Son. 
For Jewish people who have put their faith in Jesus, they now have peace and reassurance that their sins are forgiven and that they have been justified before God, not for what they have done, but because of what Yeshua has done. We hope you have enjoyed season six of our Hope Podcast. Throughout this season, we have answered many common questions on our faith in Yeshua. We discussed why people need Jesus if they are morally good. We answered various objections to the person of Jesus and other questions about scripture and religion. We pray that you will be encouraged to take these lessons and share the good news with your Jewish friends or family in a more sensitive and loving way. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Chosen People Ministries Assistant Midwest Regional Director Ryan Karp. This episode was co-written and produced by Grace Swee and Nicole Vaca, and this episode was edited by Grace Swee. This episode was also made possible thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Brian Crawford, Neil Saraski, and Kyron Bautista. Our Hope Podcast will be back with Season 7 in September 2021, so stay tuned. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at OurHopePodcast.com slash support. See you next time.